Well, hey, um, I don't know if you're kind of like me, but um, ever have one of those mornings where you, because of either anxious energy or because of excited energy, you wake up at 3.30 and your mind is racing and you just can't fall back asleep? Yeah. Well, that was me this morning because I'm, I'm excited about getting to teach this verse to you guys today, but I'm also understanding that I picked a kind of complicated verse. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to pray for me that I will be clear as I pray for our time. How's that sound? All right. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your grace that it is true, that it is real, um, and that it is transformative. I thank you, Lord, that though we are prone to wander, Lord, you consistently as a loving father never let us go. You hold on to us so tightly and so richly, Lord, that we, nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, I pray today, as we look at the book of Hebrews, that you would give us an understanding of your word, that we would walk out and would change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what I want you to do. I want to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. If you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, please take one out of the pew back in front of you, and let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I want to make a statement for you, all right? And here it is, faithfully following Christ each and every day for a lifetime is one of the most difficult things we will attempt to do in this life. To stay on the path of faith is difficult. We already have things fighting against us. The world system is not friendly to Christianity. We have an external enemy, Satan, and his cohorts and the Forces of of spiritual forces of darkness that are always wanting to kill, steal, and destroy. We even have an internal, internal enemy, our own sin nature, that constantly wants to push us off the path, lure us off the path to walk with him for a lifetime. And I think about this. Let me illustrate this for you really quickly. And how many of you enjoy hiking? Okay, good. How many of you have ever even been on a hike, whether you loved it or hated it? There you go. Please, everybody else. Hopefully you've gotten out in nature once or twice in your life. Well, here's what we know. We know that the Christian life is a narrow path. So imagine yourself on a nice, crisp fall. Not fall, it's spring. Spring afternoon. It feels like fall outside. But a nice afternoon, nice sunny afternoon, you're going to walk down this path. And there are always things that are going to want us and lure us and maybe knock us off the path, that we'll choose to get off the path. Let me give you some examples. So we're walking along, and it gets real steep and rocky. You don't have any good boots on. you got sandals on. It's going to be difficult. But we start walking, and what happens? We're like, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of tripping. I'm tired. My ankles hurt. I'm going to find a smoother route. So we get off the path. Another example might be we walk up, and lo and behold, right in front of me is a bunch of thorn bushes. I'm not going in there. I'm not wading through there. I'm going to get stuck. I'm going to get splinters in me. It's going to hurt. So I'm going to find a way around. I get off the path. Another example might be I come up to a big river, and that looks deep and dangerous. So I'm going to go find a shallower place that's a lot easier to cross. I get off the path. Another great one is the lure of berries. Mm -hmm. Those nice, big, black, beautiful wild blackberries sitting over there off the trail and they just look so good and I just need a little taste so I'll walk over there and I get off the path. Or what if you're a butterfly chaser? Anybody butterfly chasers? You like insects? 
wow, look at that big yellow one. I'm going to go chase that one. And I get off the path. Or maybe I want to pick some flowers. Lighten my day. I'm going to go pick some nice little daisies. Things that get us off the path. Now, I say that, but let's talk about that from a Christian perspective for a second. Let me give you what some of these might represent in our lives of staying on the path that Christ has laid before us. Sometimes those rocks represent a life-threatening illness. Or you lose your job, or you have persecution. (laughs) This is hard. It's steep. I went off this. Maybe the thorns represent relational betrayal or conflict. It's too difficult. I don't want to deal with that. Maybe that river in front of you is a faithful risk God has asked you to take, but it looks too deep, too dark, too scary. Let me find something easier to go across. Maybe those butterflies, maybe those berries. Now those berries, let's talk about the berries. I picked those because berries are temptations. The sins, we go over there and we eat it, but in reality it's bitter and tart and poisonous. But it sure looks good, but it gets us off the path. Sin gets us off the path. Those butterflies and those flowers can be good things, but they just get us off the path. They take our eyes off Christ, like work, hobbies, sports. Good things, but they take us off the path. Staying on the path is difficult in the Christian life. But the reality is that everything that we need to have a full, a rich, a content life in Christ is on the path. Even when we hit briar patches and steep patches and flooding rivers and things like that. Everything we need is right there. And when we stay on it, there is great potential for reward. And when we get off of that path, the path that Christ has laid down for us, there is great potential for loss, now and in the future. But God has called us to stay on that path. And we're going to see in the book of Hebrews that the writer is going to give us some wise words of exhortation to help us stay on the path that Christ has laid before us for a lifetime, a life of perseverance. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 3, 12 through 15 in depth, but we're going to jump around before we get there. So let me read this to you, set us, set us up. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm until the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, before we dig into this verse, I need to do a couple things. I need to take you to the overall context of the book of Hebrews. Because if you don't understand that, this is going to not fit real well. So I want you to see what the, what the author of Hebrews is going to say to us by seeing what the big picture is first. Then I want to look at some of the immediate context of those four verses because they are crucial in understanding what the author is trying to tell us. So first and foremost, the book of Hebrews is written, if you read it, and I would suggest go home and read it, it's great. He quotes a lot of Psalms. He quotes a lot of Old Testament. He's going to spend a lot of time in the 
Old Testament system, the Levitical law, the priesthood. And what you're going to find is this book is evidently written to a group of Jewish believers. You're also going to see in here this idea of perseverance and endurance and holding on and that there is an endurance for a prize and a reward if you hold on. And so what we know from the book of Hebrews, it seems, is that this is written to a group of converted Jews who are now believers in Christ and they have gone through a life and it's been difficult, it's been a struggle and they are pondering or thinking or on the verge of faltering and staying on the path that Christ has laid for them. They're thinking about maybe going back to Judaism where it's easier. Imagine yourself. You're a Jew. Um, you, the world is already against you as a Jew in those times. And then you believe in Christ. And now your support system, your family members, your, your community is different. It's hard. It's difficult. And what would you do if you were going to try to motivate someone like that to stay on the path with Christ, to continue to persevere and endure in your faith? Well, here's what the writer of Hebrews is going to do. He's going to do four major things in the book of Hebrews. First, he's going to show his audience why this particular way is better, why Jesus is the better way. And he's going to say that Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is better than the angels. Moses, who the Jews held very high regard, that Jesus is better than the Old Testament priesthood and better than the Levitical system. He's going to show all of that. And he's also going to show that there is an inheritance, there is a reward for them if they stay on the path of faith for their life. Next, he's going to tell them these are the consequences if you don't. So he's trying to motivate them. And so he's going to tell them, and really honestly, you're going to miss out on God's best. You could potentially miss out now and in the future on God's reward and his inheritance. You're going to miss out what is called God's rest that you're going to be stuck in sinful patterns and that you're going to be lovingly and severely disciplined because God loves you more than, than he's going to let you just fall off. So he's going to tell them which, this way is better. He's going to tell them what the consequences are if they don't. And then he's going to tell them what will help them and what will hinder them from staying on that path for a lifetime. And that's what we're going to see in Hebrews chapter 3. But i got to say one other thing. Here's what he doesn't do in the book of Hebrews. He does not promise, the writer does not promise, that things will get better in this lifetime. In fact, towards the end of the book, 10 through 12, he's going to highlight a couple things. In 10, at the end of 10, he's going to say these Jewish believers have already been through trial and struggle. They've had property seized. They've been publicly humiliated. And it's been hard. They've endured some severe persecution. And he's going to say to them, In verse 35, chapter 10, Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. So he's encouraging them, endure. He doesn't say it's going to get better. He says you need to continue to endure, because when you have done the will of God in this life, you will receive what's promised. Now, we're not talking about heaven. All believers will go to heaven whether you endure or you don't. But what he's talking about is something more, an experience in heaven, something that is the rest of God, the inheritance. He's going to go on in chapter 11, and he's going to define faith. He's going to give us what we call the hall of faith. And he's going to mention all of these people who have gone before us who have displayed great faith in their life. 
And he's going to define faith as being certain of the things hoped for. He's going to say it's basically considering dependable something. That we'd consider God dependable. And he's going to mention these people like Noah and Abraham and Moses and and David and the judges. And he's going to say, look at what they've done. Their faith accomplished much. But then he's going to say this. Because he's he's not saying things are going to get better. He says this. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again for a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, suffering mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy of them. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves and earth and all of these Though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. They suffered tremendously, and their faith was displayed unbelievably, but they didn't completely receive what was promised. So the letter of Hebrews finishes with this great exhortation in 12, 1 through 3. Because he, point, he says, he's basically going to not promise them it's going to get better, but what he is going to do is point them. Okay, He's going to point them to the joy that is set before them when the, their life is over. And he's going to point to Christ as an example. And he says this in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that he's just mentioned, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. This race that is set before us, this path of faith, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He points him to Christ and he says, even Christ didn't find the best things in this life while he was human. It wasn't until after his death, until he suffered and died on our behalf and finished the work that God had called him to do, that he enjoyed sitting down at the right hand of God, that he received the name above all names. And he looks at us, and then he says this to his audience, consider him. He's telling us, consider Christ who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you, so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus looked ahead to when his work on earth was done and we are to look ahead as well. And that's his encouragement. Endure in this life. Stay on the path of faith. There's great reward. Jesus is better. This is the message of Hebrews. Jesus is better so Fully and faithfully follow him. Stay on the path that he has laid down for us. That's the content, okay, of Hebrews. And that's the context that this little verse, these little four verses are going to pop up as a warning that he's going to be able to help us, encourage us. This is what it looks like. This is what you can do to help you stay on the path. And this is what's going to hinder you. So let's jump into Hebrews chapter 3. And I want to start in verse 7 because this is a big part of us understanding what he's trying to tell us. So 
So Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 starts like this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and he's quoting Old Testament passage. Great reason for the inspiration of Scripture. All right? He says this, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, here's what's going on here. This is a picture of the Exodus generation. All right, And he is going to use the Exodus generation as a negative illustration of what not to do. This is not how you stay on the path. So he's going to use them. And he's going to remind us of some things about them. Now he quotes Psalm 95, and here's why I think he quotes Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is an enthronement psalm. It's a psalm that, you would, that the Jews would sing, that they would um, proclaim that God has the right to rule. That he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And they would sing this at the festivals. They would sing this on the way to the festivals. They would sing this in their synagogues. It was a, it was a psalm they were familiar with. And in this psalm is the summary, a quick summary of the heart attitude and failure of the Exodus generation in those words. Psalm 95, actually, the verse right before says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. This is who God is. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And so for the Jews, quoting this psalm, that this is a chance to worship the God, worship our God, recognize who he is, but don't follow that generation's example. It was a quick and easy way for him to sum up their attitude of unbelief and the hardness that plagued that generation because they continued to struggle and trust, to struggle to trust and obey the Lord. Specifically, what ended up happening for this generation is that because of their unbelief, they lost privilege to go into the promised land. And that's what we're going to see in the verses following. Look at verse 16. He says, For who were these who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all of those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. So he's going to take this nation, this Exodus generation, and he's going to sum them up, and he's going to say, this is an example we are not to follow. Now, let me say a couple things about the generation. How, did, how were they viewed from Scripture? Okay? And and here's what you're going to see. If you go back through Exodus, you're going to find, let me give you a couple of examples. Exodus 14.31. Moses is writing and it says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. This is right after the Red Sea. And it says, so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And that word believe there and the construction of what he's saying there is the same 
words they're using when they talk about Abraham, that he believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The very next chapter, Moses is going to write a song to commemorate their deliverance. And he says this, you, God, have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. So as he looks at the nation of Israel, he is thinking about, and the Jews would see that nation as a believing generation, a redeemed generation who have fallen in unbelief. He is not looking at them as unbelievers who continued in unbelief. He's seeing them as believers, as people who are regenerate, who are now falling and struggling because they continue to actively choose to disobey and trust God. And that's the example that he's going to give us. Remember that this generation failed ultimately when they started to go into the promised land. That's when he said, you have failed. That's the last time you're not going in. But they failed many more times before that. This is the generation that saw the 10 plagues, the miracles that God laid on the Egyptian people to, to confront the gods they believed in. This is a God that they saw as a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night lead them to the Red Sea that he saw, they saw him part the Red Sea and get them through and then turn it onto the Egyptians and give them full deliverance. And yet they struggled over and over again. They got out into the wilderness and what happened? We have no water. God, you let us out here to die. So God provides water. No, we have no food. God, you let us out here to die. We want to go back to Egypt. Can you imagine that? We've been slaves for 430 years and they're wanting to go back because they continue to not trust in the God who continually has shown his faithfulness to them. And here's what happens. We get to Kadesh Barnea on the verge of going into the promised land. And what happens? If you know this story, they pick 12 representatives from each tribe, the 12 tribes of Israel. They send them out into this promised land of milk and honey. They spend 40 days surveying the land. They come back and they said, indeed, this is a land that flows with milk and honey. Look at these grapes. They're as big as my head. Look at these melons. They're wonderful. They taste so great. It's beautiful and wonderful, but there's a problem. These people are huge. Their cities are fortified and we are like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way we can go in. And right then in there, a little disbelief, a little disbelief culminates in active disobedience to go in, active distrust, active. They completely take God out of the equation. They couldn't see a way through. They couldn't see a way out, and they just take God out of the equation in unbelief in that moment. Let me read to you their response. This is in Numbers 13, Numbers, actually Numbers 14. Listen to what they say. They just came back. They've given the bad report. And this is what they say. It says, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, oh, would that we have died in the land of Egypt or would that we have died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. To go back. What is going on with these people? They are stubborn to trust. And here's what I think happens. 
First, they're discouraged by circumstances in the present. They see what's happening. They see these um, fortified cities and they see um, that this is going to be difficult. And they're so focused on the problems in front of them right now that they take God out of the equation. They can't see a way through. They can't see a way out. So they're discouraged. And their eyes, instead of going up, their eyes go down. Next, they're detached from the consequences and promises in the future. They're not looking to what God had promised them. God had already told them, look, I promised you this land. I'm going to give you this land. And look, if you would just remember that I've promised that this is for you. Look look what's ahead of you. It's right there. And they completely detach themselves from it. They're so focused on what they see, they don't think about what God has promised them, what is waiting for them. And they also don't think about what the consequences are if they don't trust God. They're not thinking about that, not asking that question. And lastly, this, they disregarded the lessons from the past. They completely forget all of the provision that God has done time and time again. I didn't trust. We didn't trust. Look, he he provided, he provided, he provided. And yet here we are again, because a little bit of unbelief adds up over time, if you're not careful with it, to great unbelief. And here's the sad part for them. The consequences are they didn't go into the promised land. And he says, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the negative example that the writer of Hebrews is going to surround these four verses with to help us understand what he's calling us to do. Because this was a generation that was brought out, redeemed, and believed, and they failed to enter the promised land. And the failure awaits us if we fail to stay on the path of faith. Now, we're not talking about heaven, okay? And I want to say that real quick. Every believer who has placed your faith in Christ will go to heaven. We're talking about rewards and inheritance that come with heaven that we can miss out on, okay? And I want to explain to you really quick a contrast in Numbers 14 that we see about these people. Right alongside, he contrasts what it means to not follow the path and then what it looks like to be someone who does. And he says this, and this is 1421. Moses writes, but truly as I live, this is the Lord speaking, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land to possess it. There's the contrast. Someone who trusts God fully gets to experience the promised land, gets to experience the full blessing, the full richness of the inheritance. Someone who doesn't misses out. Okay? That is the warning that we're going to see in this passage for us. Now, there's one last thing I've got to give you a thought on, and that is the rest or the inheritance that is talked about in Hebrews. You see the word rest in Hebrews in chapter um, 3. You're going to see it in 
in verse 11. You're going to see it in verse 18. And then most of chapter 4 is going to talk about the rest. And let me tell you, without going too much into detail, I'm going to quote um, Tom Constable. He's a theologian um, that he writes on this. And, and I just want to tell you, this is the perspective that I'm coming from. Okay? He says these terms, inheritance and rest, refer to blessings that God's people could anticipate in the next stage of their lives if they followed him faithfully in the present stage of their life. For the Israelites in, in the wilderness, this meant enjoying the peace and prosperity of the promised land to the full. For Christians, it means enjoying all the blessings, notice this, that God has promised faithful believers will experience in heaven. It's not the promise of heaven, it's the promise of the fullness of what God has for us in heaven. Does that make sense? That's where the author of Hebrews is pushing us to remember that we are living this life now and it will impact our experience in heaven. We will, if you're a believer in Christ, you will be in heaven. But not all of our experiences will be the same based on the life we live now. Reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where we're all believers will stand. It's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And it says, look, all believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Heaven has already been determined. We're going to go to heaven, but we're going to stand before Christ and he's going to judge our lives. He's going to look at the works of our lives. He's going to say, the foundation was laid on Christ. And what did you build on it? Hay, wood, stubble? Because I'm going to test it with fire. And if it burns up, then you're going to get into heaven, but but, (laughs) scorched with nothing to show for it. But if you're foundation on top of that was built with precious stones and precious metals as it's tested by fire and proves good then you will walk in and you will receive reward that's what we're talking about the work that we are called to do in this lifetime is to trust and obey so that we might receive the full inheritance or the rest that this writer speaks of so that's the context you got a negative illustration and you've got People who were discouraged in the present, detached from the future, and disregarded the lessons from the past. Now watch what he's going to do in these four verses to help counteract that for us and for his audience. Okay? Let's look at Hebrews 3. We're finally there. All right, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Listen to what he says. Take care. Watch out. Stay alert. Be mindful. Don't take this for granted. Be mindful of this. Brothers, these are, these are believers he's talking to. He says, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from a living God. Now, most of your translations, if you're in arena, English translation, is going to say something like, unless there be in any of you. Here's the thing. In the Greek, this is a future tense verb. So it's better read like this. Be careful, brothers that there will not be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Let's say this is God, okay? And God is right here. An unbeliever, someone who has never placed their faith in Christ, already has a heart of unbelief, all right? They are already away from God. In fact, the Bible says, All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the penalty is death and no one seeks God, no, not one. No one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. So that's the state where an unbeliever stands. This says, take care, brothers. 
lest there not, will not be in any of you. So he's giving a warning to say, watch out that in someone who is believing and trusting in God now, there doesn't become in them, future tense, a heart of unbelief that falls away from a living God. And someone might say, well, can you fall away from a living God? You bet you can. You don't lose heaven. There, eternal security is a, is, a, is a truth in scripture. Okay? You can't unadopt yourself. You can't break the, the double grip of God. Uh, John 10 says that Christ has you in his grip and the Father has you in your grip. And you can't break that grip. Romans 8 tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Not even you. Not even your choices. So we are going to go to heaven. Whether we endure or we don't. Whether we stay on the path or not. But what he's saying here is that be careful that there's not an unbelieving heart in you, Christian, that falls away from a living God. Because you can. See, here's the Christian life. All of us are going to fall. All of us are going to struggle. And we're going to take a step away from God. But what God says to us is confess and come back. We say, because another step. Confess and come back. We are all going to struggle with staying on the path to a degree. But the problem is when we take a step, and we take a step, and we take a step, and we are moving away. That falling away is the idea of withdrawing, moving away from God. And when we do that, that's disobedience. That's a lack of trust. And we can even get to a place where we look like an unbeliever in our lives. And we can miss out on what God has set for us in the future. If we live that way. So that is our warning that he gives us. And one of the reasons he says an unbelieving heart is because the heart is the seat of our emotions, our desires, our hopes, our dreams, and our faith. Romans uh, 10, 9 through 10 says we confess with our mouth, but we believe with our heart. So watch out. Guard your heart, he says, so that you will not withdraw and be ashamed at his coming. It is another way of looking at this is watch out for the slow slide of the banana peel. It doesn't just happen overnight. Whoops, I'm, I'm withdrawn from God. It's the slow slide. Slowly moving away from God. And that's what the Israelite generation did. Distrust, unbelief, questioning him, questioning him, distrust, distrust. Until they had a major fail and did not get to enjoy the inheritance, the promise of the promised land. So now he's going to give us, that's the warning. Now he's going to give us some very practical things. What will help us and what will hinder us. He gave us the warning, be careful. And now he's going to say this. Here's our words to take away from. But exhort one another or encourage one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now does, does sin harden us? Can we have a hard heart with God? Yes, we can. I like to think of this like this. Um, God is the potter and I am the clay. And what does clay need to be moldable? Moisture. And we know that God, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm playing some things here. We know that God is a fountain of living water. He is full of grace and truth and mercy. And when we draw near to him, he covers us fully in that grace and saturates us and soaks us. And when we start moving away from him, we get away from him, 
We keep stepping away from him. We're getting out into a little bit of the desert. And we find ourselves hardening. And what he wants us to do is come back and continue to confess and receive grace so he softens us. That's the softening of the spiritual life. But when we with stubbornness, because the word hardened just basically means to be stubborn. But when we stubbornly go the other way and go, I'm going to go my way and I'm not going to trust you, God, which the Israelites did, our hearts become hardened and we lose out. Because sin is deceitful and it wants to move us away. It wants to keep us moving off the path. A great quote Tim Sewell shared with me last week is this. And you should write this down and memorize it. This is a a quote. Sin takes you further than you ever wanted to go. It keeps you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it costs you more than you ever thought you'd pay. Sin is deceitful. And when we buy into it, when we buy into the berries on the trail, it pulls us away and pulls us away. And the more we give into it and not coming back to Christ to confess, we start to harden our hearts. Can God break through that? Yes. Does that mean your life is over? No. Does that mean you miss heaven? No. But you can miss out on what, because remember, this life is a life that's lived with eternity in mind. So that's what he tells us. Be careful that, there's not in, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And what's the solution? Exhort and encourage one another. And, and as long as it's called today. So what is he saying? He's saying this. Do not be discouraged in the present, but rather encourage one another today. If you're discouraged in the present, be encouraged. And here's how you're encouraged. You have to be in the community of God. You have to be with people. Coming to church on Sunday is not being in the community of God. It is coming to worship with the community of God, but being in the community of God means you are with people who are encouraging you, who can speak into your life, where you are vulnerable and open with them, and they can encourage you and you can encourage them. You have to have foxhole buddies in this world who are fellow believers. So this is his first thought. How, does his, how do we get help how, Help to stay on the path of faith for a lifetime? We need to be in the community of faith where we are encouraging and exhorting one another. What's the best way to kill an animal from a predator's perspective? You get it alone. If you can get it alone, if you can stampede the herd and chase off the weak or chase off the baby calf or the baby antelope, then you can kill it because it's not protected by the numbers anymore. And that's how you find the weak ones. When we are in isolation, there is an enemy who wants to still kill and destroy, and that's what he does with us. He tries to get us alone. He tries to isolate us, and he keeps us away from encouragement and keeps us focused on the discouragement of the present. So you've got to be in the community of God so that you can receive such encouragement. Let's look at the next, next verse, Hebrews 3, 12 through 15. I mean, excuse me, verse 14. He's going to say this, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Here's what he's going to do. He just dealt with the present, encourage each other today. Now he's going to deal with the future. And he's going to say, keep your eyes ahead. What does he say? 
This is a conditional statement, meaning the, what follows the if has to happen in order to get what's before it. And here's what he says. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm unto the end. An unbeliever doesn't have an original confidence in the Lord. This is a believer whose original faith, original confidence in the Lord that led them to believe. He's saying, hold that firm until the end. Why is he pointing to the end? Because the end matters. A faithful life now impacts the life after death. Now, here's an interesting thing here. When it says, for we have come to share in Christ, the word there is metakoi, and it basically means to partner. It means we are a partner with Christ. Now, there's a conditional statement here. We're not talking about heaven. We're not talking about eternal life because this is a conditional statement saying if you hold your original confidence firm to the end, then you are a partner with Christ. Look in verse three, in chapter three, verse one. He's going to say, therefore, holy brothers, these are believers, you share in a heavenly calling. No conditional statement. And when he says share, it's the same word, partner. You are partners of the heavenly calling. Now imagine this, imagine a race, a race set before us. And here's, we are with Christ in this race to live a life of obedience and trust to the Father. And what he's saying is, we're all brothers. Christ calls us brothers. He laid his life down and calls us brothers and sisters. And he says, we've been all our partners of the heavenly calling. What's the heavenly calling? To live a life of faith, of trust and obedience. We're all partners with Christ in that calling. There's not a condition to be in that calling. If you're a believer, that's your calling. But if you live a life of faith and trust, firm until the end, holding that confidence from the, then you will be a partner with Christ in glory in a way that others will not who didn't hold their confidence firm. Now, I wish I could explain heaven and everything that's going to happen and what all that means. I, I don't have all the answers. We know a little bit. We don't know a lot. But that's what he's saying. And what he's doing in this case is he is pointing them to the future. And he says, do not be detached from the future. There is great reward and great potential for loss if you don't keep your eyes on the future. So remember where you're headed. Now, why is that so hard for us? Let me give you a thought. The further you look into the future, the greater the temptation to downplay the impact. Let me give you an example. I walk down here and I'm going to kick that pew with my shin as hard as I can. Why don't I do that? Because it's going to hurt. And I know it's going to hurt. There's an immediate, I can look right there and go, that's going to hurt and it's going to feel pain. But what if, what if I eat McDonald's every day and every meal for five years? Y'all have seen Supersize Me? Oh, man, no, 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 I'll die it later. Those consequences won't affect me. I'm 20 years old. I can fix that later. How about, have you ever, what about this short-sightedness? A little flirtation never hurt anybody. Not looking down the road. Not looking down the road. What about a positive example? You invest for the future. You invest for retirement. Oh, no, I'll wait till I'm 50 before I start worrying about that. You're behind the eight ball. 
Because the further out it looks, the more we downplay the consequences of it. But here's the crazy reality for all of us. None of us are promised tomorrow. I hope that's not true of us today. But the reality is not one of us in this room is guaranteed tomorrow. Today might be our last day. And so are you looking and thinking, oh, no, I can put off my faithful walk with Christ later. I'll make up for lost time. I don't need to worry about that now. We don't know when God will call us home. And so I would argue, live faithfully every day because there is great reward for those who do and there's great loss for those who don't. I'm going to give you one example. In Numbers 20, Moses is about to lead the next generation into the land. He's about to take them in and they need water again. And Moses has had enough of this generation, enough of all the bickering and the lack of faith and all the things that have gone on. And so he walks up and God says, I want you to speak to the rock. And what does he do? He hits it. And water bursts forth and and quenches the thirst of the Israelites. But here's what God says to Moses. Because you did not believe me. Wait, a believer can have unbelief? Yes. Because you did not believe in me, To uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, you will not bring the assembly into the land I have given them. In a moment, he missed the promised land. Now Moses was held to a very high standard because he was the leader. He was God's representative. He had walked with Christ for a long time. But that's pretty severe. He missed out on the promised land because he did not, he exercised unbelief in God's eyes. So we need to stay and remember, keep your eyes focused on what we're living for. It's not this life and the pleasures of this life. It is for the future. Because let me tell you an honest reality, we're going to live a lot longer in eternity than we're going to live in this life. It's so short. So live and stay on the path of faith. Last verse, Hebrews 3, 15. He says this, and as it is said, today if you hear this voice, hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And what he's going to do is remind us one more time, don't regard, disregard the past, but learn from its lessons. You know, God gave us the Bible. It's a beautiful book. You know what's great about this book? It's written and not, it's not just a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's not just a bunch of um, ordinances of how to live. It is told through the story of men and women and the intersection of God with people. Like you and me, these are real people. They had real hopes, dreams, frustrations, struggles. They're not that much different from us. Different clothes. Same heart. Same minds. And God has given us this so that we can look at it and we can read it and we can spend time in it and we can go, look at what God did in those people's lives. Look how faithful he was. Look at what he valued. Look at how he treated them. Look how he delivered them so that we can learn from the lessons that God has given us to learn from. We are to learn the lessons of the past. 
Encourage one another today. Remember where we're headed. Learn the lessons of the past. And here, let me give you a suggestion on how we do this. If you're still in Hebrews 3, I want you to look in 4.11. Because he's going to tell us right now. He says this, Let us therefore strive to enter that reward, that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And listen to this. It's odd that he transitions here, but he says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom must give account. And he's saying, look, strive diligently to enter the rest, to, to live this life that matters for that life that will come and stay in the word of God because it will help you look ahead to what God has for us. It will remind you of the promises and the consequences. It will help you remember the lessons from the past so you can apply those now in the present and not take your eyes off of Christ and take him out of the equation. So stay in the word. And I laugh, we're a Bible church and we always say, study the word, but we really mean it. Stay in the word because that is the lifeblood of how God reveals himself and encourages us and shows us that he is faithful in people's lives. This is real life history. And there's real promises in here of what life will be and what we have to look forward to and what we need to do now. He tells us how to live a life of faith. Next, he's going to do this. Another interesting transition, but look at this. He says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let us not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let us continue to draw close to the throne of grace where the, the waters are that, that soak us and make us soft and pliable, where he covers us with our grace. Because we have a high priest in Jesus who knows we're going to struggle. And he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Remember, the Christian life is we step away, we step back, we step away, we jump back, we step away, we cling to Christ. Keep drawing near to the throne of grace. And lastly, I would say, be deeply embedded in the community of God. Be deeply embedded in the community of God. And when we do those three things, we dive into the word of God, we receive the grace of God, and we go deep into the community of God, we will be able to encourage one another today Remember where we're headed and learn the lessons from the past and not be hardened and not have a heart of unbelief and not miss out on the fullness of the blessing that God has for us after this life. Jesus is better, so follow him faithfully and fully. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you. And I pray for us that we would be men and women whenever the end comes that we would have lived faithfully and fully for you like Caleb did. And we will hear the words, good and faithful servant, well done. Enter 
into the inheritance that is prepared for you. Father, we love you. Help us to stay on that path. In Jesus' name, amen.